Hello and welcome to Uniting Against Violence podcast. We are a community group of parents who are parent champions and knife crime ambassadors from London's Camden in Islington Violence Reduction Unit and the Parent House, a charity based in Islington. We came together to create a podcast on how we can reduce violence. My name is Victoria and today we are focusing on school exclusions what the impact of exclusions can be on children and what schools and parents can do about it. Our guests this week are Sandra Harrison, Raquel Lopez and Natasha Hemmings. Thank you for joining us today. Would you kindly share a bit about yourself? Hello, I'm Sandra Harrison. I'm a director of a company called Sankar Limited. I've been a head teacher of various special schools, mainly social, emotional, mental health and autism. With my 30 years of experience in schools, I have seen exclusions. I've seen the inequality of exclusions and the impact that it has on our young people as well as the parents. I'm also an advocate for parents. So when they don't understand meetings or they don't understand jargon, I will go to these meetings to support them. I've seen too many young people get lost in the system. And unfortunately, they're the ones that may end up one of those statistics. Hi, I'm Raquel. I am a parent here to talk on behalf of my son and the experiences that we have gone through. I'm a spiritual leader, intuitive healer, mentor for empaths and highly sensitive people. And recently, I've become an advocate to support other parents going through similar situations and experiences like myself. Hi, I'm Natasha Hemmings. My middle child was excluded, so I'm here to talk about our experience as a family and the impact that it had on us. I am what I was from a law background, but after seeing what my son has gone through, I've now changed career paths and I'm now a behaviour mentor in a secondary school because there is need for lots of people like myself in those kind of roles to help our young children. Oh, thank you all for joining us today. I'll start with the first question. What is the impact of being excluded on a child? Maybe I'll start with Sandra. Okay, the impact on a pupil when they're excluded is there's different ways a child some some children are quite happy to be excluded and the reason I'm saying that is because they want to get away from school they don't want to they're not happy they don't feel safe they don't feel they're being supported so they rather be at home or they rather be out on the street some of them it's very emotional so as I said I'm very much about autistic pupils so when an autistic child is excluded that has a real impact on their mental health and their anxiety level. And to be fair, some of the things they're excluded for is unacceptable. And they can't understand that because socially they're not able to understand those reasonings. Well, from a personal experience, uh, my son has had a multitude of, of exclusions when he went from primary school to secondary school. And it escalated to a point that his panic attacks were beyond understanding. So he couldn't even wear his uniform to go to school. Everything, like Sandra mentioned, everything became about safety. And yes, in a multitude of occasions, he did do things on purpose. He didn't want to be there. He didn't feel that people would care about him. I know for a fact that my son, like many other pupils that get excluded, 
they get super highly uh, overstimulated in a classroom with a multitude of students. They can't function in a place where where there is too much lo- noise, too much uh, lighting, too much of everything. Their nervous system is just super highly uh, active. So that has a knock-on effect on their self-esteem, them feeling not good enough, they don't feel that they are worthy, and why bother? Eventually they start to take things personally, and one thing leads to the other, and the least thing that you expect. You've got a child at home, full-time, not doing much, not wanting to wake up in the morning, and it's just uh, an ongoing thing that needs to be solved, and start with with the school system. Um, From... My perspective with my son, it ruined him, to be quite honest, that impact. It just, and it still has, This we're three years on and he is not the child he was before. He's the middle child, he's outgoing, he's confident, he's funny, he liked everything, drama, street dance, everything, you name it. This child now is completely different, completely different to the point that, you know, he wouldn't want to go out, he didn't want to do anything, he's got no self-belief. He's now in the process of going to university. But we had a conversation the other day, he said, what if I don't make friends? And that's not that child. You know, I've got three boys and that one is the most outgoing and the most funniest. And now he's worried that he's going to go off to uni and he won't make any friends. And that's because this whole process that the system has done to him has literally ruined him. Is that related to the number of exclusions, is it? Well, he was permanently excluded from secondary school in his final year. So he got permanently excluded for year 11, which meant that his GCSEs, you know, he's a high achiever, academically really bright, which that just put everything down because it was then he would end up in a brew. A brew, you can only take a maximum of four GCSEs, which he was then thinking, I won't be able to do A-levels. But to sum it up, yes, that whole experience completely knocked his self-confidence his whole his whole being it just changed him so your son is now in secondary is going to uni Mm -hmm. so So now he's in college doing a levels which for the grace of god that's amazing because how it could have ended but my thing was he wasn't attending the pro for me i was um i was adamant he wasn't going there because it was like a mini prison You know, they walk around with walkie-talkies, the glass doors shut behind each other. They locked him in a classroom for safeguarding for his own purposes to be safe. So my thing was he wasn't attending there. But what they put in place for him was phenomenal because he got taught at home. He got taught in a cafe down the road. He got taught in a private centre. He had a one-to-one tutor five days a week. So he come out attaining the best grades that that Peru have ever seen in 14 years. So what they put in place was fantastic. But for me... My child wasn't going to be in there five days a week. Perhaps it's been your experience on uh, Pru. Mm-hmm. My son has finally been given a placement at a place that is called as well Pru, mm. and it's nothing like that. Mm. I think it depends on on each individual, but definitely there is. It is obvious that we need more and more provisions that mm-hmm. are more like mm-hmm. the place that my mm. son has been. Every parent has different experiences. I, when I speak to my parents, I would say you can go and speak to other parents or you can research, see what is best for you and your child. That first and foremost has to be looked at. I also found transitions, year six to year seven is a big problem. It's a massive problem 
Some of our pupils don't get into the schools that their parents feel is right for them. Those pupils go into a dark hole and you can't find anywhere for them. When they do go into school, year seven, their behaviour may not be where it is. They get excluded, they get excluded, they get excluded, they get permanently excluded. And then they go off the radar. A percentage, and I would say a percentage of those pupils are the pupils that end up on our streets and in gangs. Not all of them. Please don't say that. Pupils in Prus, they are not all bad children. They've had, if you go back into their history, you would realise why their behaviours are the way they are. What it is, is education, parents, government needs to come together to ensure that our pupils' needs are met. The child Mm -hmm. must have a voice. The child knows what's going on. They may not always be able to articulate it, but listen to your child. Thank you very much. We are going to continue and go to the role of the school in this, Sandra. Right. The role of the school in exclusions. First and foremost, it's the very last thing that you should do to have an exclusion. Most exclusions, I think the highest percentage of exclusions are around behaviour, persistent behaviour. Persistent, I do say persistent. Yeah. A lot of pupils are excluding that it's not persistent. A lot of exclusion of boys. Okay, so what can the school do? They need to put in some interventions around this. Why is it our boys that are being excluded? Why is it a cohort of pupils that are being excluded, whether it's black boys, whether it's gypsy Roma, whatever the case may be, white working class, does it matter? No. What we must do is put in an intervention to ensure these pupils feel safe enough to come into school and stay in school and learn. Some schools need to have a better understanding of RSCN because they're the top ones that are excluded, pupils with special educational needs. So I've been in a school and I've been supporting a child because social skills and social communication is very hard for autistic pupils, they wanted to make friends. A few girls said, do this, show your, show your parts and say these words, which he did because he thought that's a friendship. He did that. He was shouted at. He ran out of the class and about four teachers ran after him. Within his education, health and care plan, you are not supposed to go near him and touch him. So what did they all do? They're all at him and putting their hands towards him. So we punched about three of the teachers. When I came in, they said they're excluding him for 10 days. When I explained to the head teacher, he's autistic. You didn't follow his EHC plan. What is the benefit of a 10 day exclusion for this child? He couldn't understand. All he wanted to do was be friends. And it ended up with him being excluded for 10 days, reduced to three days. I got it down to three days, which three days was still too much for me. But within that time, I was able to speak to the child and coach him through. And so the school needs to have a better. And I don't say some schools are brilliant. Some of them, they just need more support. But we do need to look at those cohorts. Okay, Sandra, thank you for that. I can hear the support that you're talking around that particular child. And uh, are there any rights around that child in the school before the exclusion, rights that the parents need to know? Yeah. When a child is excluded, a letter goes out to the parents. So your child's been excluded for this reason. If you want to appeal it, please do it within a certain amount of days. So the parents can then appeal, my child's autistic, he didn't, These are, this is the reason, et cetera, et cetera. But some schools would accept that and talk it through. Some parents are not able to do that. 
their experience of school isn't that well, isn't good. Their experience of education is they don't want to be nowhere near it. They don't want, they don't fight it. That's why parents must try and find an advocate, find a network. Don't just sit there, talk to the school. Even if it's a pastoral team, there are people in the school that care. That's why they're there. I was going to agree exactly what Sandra said that, you know, I don't know, for me and my family, we're, we got on fine, myself, my husband, we got on fine at school, everything else. But when we was getting these letters sent home, it was just like, but he's been excluded for one day for, you know, throwing an apple core in the, and I took the letter. I was like, okay, you've been excluded and put the letter down. Why have you been excluded? This isn't good enough, such and such. And we tell him off. Not once did I think in, because he got five fixed term exclusions, not once in any of those five did I think I had the right to challenge him because I just thought the school had his best interests at heart. Mm. I'd speak up to his pastoral leader. Oh, you know, he was in a bad mood today. So we just put it down to that. But not once did I think, you know what? I'm going to challenge the school. Not once. And then after the five, they put it down to persistent behavior and off he was off on the fifth one it was like we're really sorry mum he's been permanently excluded and there isn't enough information out there and I consider myself quite a you know every parents evening I was there every incident that happened at school we were there we were speaking we were on first name terms with the head I thought to myself that we so if us as a family thinking okay well we're quite up there and we're on the ball with everything the parents that don't have a clue, the parents that really believe in the system that I'm putting my child in your hands and I know you have got my child's best interest at heart is so not the case. And it's exactly what Sandra said. There needs to be more info out there. Parents need to, you know, I don't know, but look, I'm just getting all hot and thinking about it. I can, I can understand and I've gone through similar experiences to, to yours, so I can understand and empathise, obviously, inside out. What I wanted to add from what Sandra has said initially is autism doesn't really get picked up straight away. And like yourself, Natasha, I was challenging the school from the beginning. What I was saying is not, not that your behavioural point system doesn't work. with doesn't work. What I am saying is that it doesn't work for every child. So and my son yeah. is in one of those categories. Mm-hmm. In my son's secondary school, there were hardly anybody that could support or understand people like my own son. They don't know. They really don't know how to deal with them. And they obviously, what we don't know, we fear, we reject, we refuse to accept and again goes down to the confidence yeah. levels and uh, lack of motivation, lack of engagement, etc., etc. These pupils are going to be the adults, and we've got to make sure we prepare them yeah. effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, in some cases, we are not. We are not meeting the needs of all of our pupils. We are meeting the needs of the high achievers. We are meeting mm-hmm. the yes. needs. Mm-hmm. I won't even see if we're meeting the needs of the middle because they're just they're just in the middle. Mm-hmm. And those uh, are struggling for whatever the reason. There's not enough resources going in there. So we need more. And I would I would say that. And all parents need to have an advocate. They need to have someone that's going to speak for them in those meetings. They're the ones that goes to tribunal with them. Yeah. 
because the system just gets too confused and the, the parents are mentally and physically exhausted by the time it gets to that point. Yeah. So they're not, they're talking on emotions and that's where you get, oh, that parent, we don't want to hear because they're always shouting. No, they're, they're emotionally charged. That's the way they're going to speak. That's when you get your advocates to come in because they're going to be on a different mm. level. I contacted Quorum Children's Centre, but there's also matrix chambers, barristers chambers. They've got a, a thing called School Exclusion Project, so they work pro bono for free, and the Black Child Agenda as well. They were brilliant. So these are organisations that I found really helpful, but I had to do my own research and find them. So um, what are the challenges for teachers? I think the challenges for teachers, it's quite high, obviously. Most teachers should read about their pupils. There's always paperwork on that child. Right. Now, saying that, teachers' workload is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So they don't always have the time to read about their their pupils. If they were able to read that, they probably would alleviate some of the problems. And also, with being a teacher, your training doesn't train you on how to identify a child that's got social, emotional and mental health. And if they do, it may be an hour here or an hour there. So it's very hard for our teachers. We're putting our teachers through quite a lot and expecting them to know quite a lot. I always say the best thing is for any teachers to get to know your children, get to know your pupils, the very quiet ones that will walk in and sit down. I could identify something was wrong with them. And I would speak to them outside and it could be, oh, grandma died last night. You need to know your pupils. And it is hard if you're in a mainstream school, there's 1,500, you're probably teaching at least 300 of them. Special schools, it's a lot different because there's about 40, 50 there. Everyone knows about the child because every member of staff in the schools I've headed up, you've had to read the paperwork on that child. You needed to know their trigger points what works well with them and you need to know about the parents so it's a hard job and my hat always goes off to our teachers it is very hard for them what is your top piece of advice for parents who might be facing the challenges we have been talking about just now well my first advice to any parent that was even going through a first fixed term exclusion you just appeal it that would be my first advice appeal from the off I think what I would say, if your child is excluded, I think you have to speak to the school about their account of it, the child's accounts, and where you can go next. Are you meeting the needs of my child? There's a lot of stigma with parents. They don't want to do this because they don't want their child to be classes, special educational needs. Parents need to stop with that. Don't worry about the stigma. You need to worry about your child. If they say that your child needs an education, health and care plan because they've got needs, take it, Mm. hold it, Mm. run with it. Mm. It's with your child till they're 25 if they stay in education. So parents need to stop it. I don't want my child to be labelled as really naughty or he's got special needs. So what? Go with it so long as your child is supported effectively and get the support from others. Speak to other parents, speak to organisations, speak to advocates, speak to people like myself. Well, my first advice, obviously, this is talking from a perspective that the parent is 100% responsible, first of all, and 100% accountable. And what I mean by that is that they are doing everything that they can to do what 
it's best for the child and to make the school accountable as well. When they've done that, my next tip would be get back up because that's exactly what I did from the very beginning. I go back up. You're not listening to me as a parent. You're not taking me seriously. I'm going to bring people, organizations that are going to speak on my behalf and my son's behalf. Thank you. That is really, really important because it echoes what Sandra has said. When it goes further, you need an advocate. You need someone who knows the rules, who knows the laws, who can actually speak without emotions. And I can add that it was not until I brought uh, support. Even me being outspoken, mm-hmm. I felt a multitude of times I was not being uh, heard. I was not being taken seriously. I can see Natasha wants to yeah, jump I in. Was, I was going to say, for me, ours went to an IRP, which is an independent review panel. So we appealed to the governors. We lost. We then went to an independent review panel. They hired a top city barrister. So it was lucky that I work in law and I was able to access a barrister myself. But you've got to think about the parents that haven't got that. Yes. The parents that are just not in the know. So we went along with a barrister, but we still lost. We still lost at our IRP and it was ridiculous what they actually put my son through as well. We had to stop their barrister and say, we're not in court. So stop questioning him because the way that they was lying in their questioning, you had my son sitting there rolling his piece of paper just like that, just so frightened. And it was just like, we're not in court. You know, this is about his education. This is crazy when you think about it. This is my child's education and we're sitting here with two city barristers. What has the world come to, literally? And I was fortunate that I was in a place where I could pay for that. What about the parents that haven't even got that? And I started off with an advocate at first, but the school and the governors were so hard. They were going in very, very hard. My files, I've got files like I'm a solicitor myself. And I was trying to read through them again yesterday just to refresh my mind. You know, it upset me. Knock on effect at a multitude of levels. And it's funny because for the grace of God, I had a fantastic boss at the time. And she was saying to me, right, sometimes I'd phone home because he wouldn't be awake and I'd be scared that he'd done something. So then I have to phone my neighbour and say, please go and knock on the door and just make sure he, sorry to say it, but make sure he's alive. Because I was worried that I would come home and find him hanging from the banisters because that's how bad he was. And yeah, I'm at work. And then my boss used to just say to me, go home, pack up and go home. And I said, but, but, but. You need to go home. You can't be here mm. and you're worried that your child is at home by himself with the possibility of him harming himself. This is what I meant by, by being on edge. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would actually say. That's why we have to support parent carers. We're talking about the child here and the exclusions, but also they have parent carers. And if those parent carers are not effectively, emotionally ready for what is going to hit them, it is all going to fall apart. Mm. So we must support our parent carers. The educational system, we have to be more transparent and we have to be more knowledgeable about all the areas. Mm. We're all about teaching and progress yeah. and, and good products of mm-hmm. a society, but mm-hmm. good products of society isn't just academic. Mm-hmm. It's also about social and mentally. Mm. You've got to have them strong. Mm-hmm. So that would be my saying. As an educationist for 30-odd years, that's where my passion lies. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Sandra, on that um, last note, that it has to be all around support for the child and the parent 
so that the child is emotionally and the parents are emotionally ready for anything that happens uh, with their children. And it makes uh, life easier for the educationist as well. These podcasts that you are doing, guys, mm-hmm. are really, I'm really grateful. I'm really, mm-hmm. really, truly grateful because it all begins actually with more. More mm-hmm. of these talks, more awareness, more mm-hmm. people knowing what to do, mm-hmm. where to go. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we are there. Not every single person like you and Natasha, mm-hmm. you, Natasha, and myself have that, mm-hmm. you know, courageous ability to pursue what mm-hmm. we feel that is right for our mm-hmm. kids. Thank you so much. And I bet this is going to be a fascinating listen for our listeners. Thank you for listening to Uniting Against Violence, the podcast about reducing serious youth violence in our communities. We have put useful links for the things we have talked about today in the episode's description. If you found this episode useful, please subscribe, share and like on social media at Uniting Against Violence. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can also email us at unitingagainstviolence at gmail.com. Reducing violence is a big topic and we know we can't cover everything and every perspective. So if you are listening to this, thinking about something we have missed, we encourage you to start conversations where you are. Together, we can unite against violence by working with each other to create safer and healthier communities. This episode was co-produced by Charlotte Keith and Sarah Hart. Guest speakers were Sandra Harrison, Raquel Lopez, Natasha Hemmings, with editing by Sarah Hart, and the host was me, Victoria Swan. Special thanks to our partners, Islington and Camden Councils, Public Health, The Parent House, and Crafts, and our founder, the Mayor of London, through the Violence Reduction Unit, as well, of course, our guest speakers. Thank you for listening. 